This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey everybody and welcome back to Ozpol Snack Pod. That's right, we're the we- weekly left-wing podcast that brings you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. My name is Noon and with me is my co-host. Hey, Zach the Snack and listener, if you can detect a little uh, static electricity in the air, a little, a little extra vibe, that's because we're back in person. The first time in a long time. Yeah, yeah, we've been recording over Zoom for the last year for like obvious reasons. Um, so it's nice. It's nice to see you in real life. Nice so. to be here in the flesh. Um, over the pandemic, our hair lengths have reversed. Mm. You're now the kind of slightly more clean cut, respectable young gentleman. You got a sort of a Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker kind of a vibe going on. <laughs> Fuck! I thought that to myself the other days. I looked in the mirror and I was like. I wonder if anyone else is going to pick up on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not also, like a good vibe. He's a very whingy little wet character. Looking back at photos of us in high school, you also big Mark Hamill time. <laughs> yeah. Just, just the hair. You know, the, I, I don't know. You know anything the about other thing about Mark Hamill, he's got an enormous mouth. Yeah. As do I. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty big mouth. So yeah. it's an apt comparison. Um, but before we get into the rest of our Mark Hamill podcast uh i want to shout out new patrons uh bush bandit and guy thank you all so much for signing up on patreon we're getting closer to our goal of 100 once we get there uh we're gonna release the ozpol snack pod theme song extended dnb mix so you know if you're not a patron yet hop over onto patreon uh and uh chuck us as little as one us dollar a month yeah yeah um the other thing we wanted to shout out at the top here is uh the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance and Workers' Solidarity are doing a call-out for marshals for the Melbourne Invasion Day rally. The training is on Saturday the 23rd of January, and if you want more details about that, uh, DM us, and we can send you a link with some more info. Um, I don't know what the situation is uh, for the Invasion Day rallies in other cities, but obviously war and other organizations are organizing those mm-hmm. um, and uh, encourage anybody who has the time and energy to volunteer to help out with keeping those marches organized and safe. Oh, yeah. All right, Zach, should we move on to our entree? Yeah, it's a pretty big entree. Um, I don't have a pun for it, but I wrote here, um, Angry Onions. Do they still serve those at Hungry Jack's? I got no clue, man. You go to fast food more than me. I am, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really the Hungry Jack's head. <laughs> In, in this the relationship, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the jackhead, and I, I haven't had angry onions in a few years. But anyway, this story made me quite angry onion. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is a story about job service providers evolving into um, a whole new level of parasite. I hmm. don't know what the next level up from parasite is. Maybe succubus. Yeah, nice, um, nice. Predator. I, I don't know. Hmm. Is it is is a parasite a predator? No, 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 it's a parasite. Yeah, it's a parasite, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, moving on from uh, me being really good at science. So for anybody who doesn't know what a job service provider is, they're organizations, often not-for-profits, who get government contracts to find work for people on JobSeeker. At least that's the theory. 
uh, and they get bonuses uh, of a couple hundred bucks for every unemployed person that they sign up to the service. If they place someone in a job and that person stays there for a certain number of weeks, I think the milestones are 13, 26, and 52 weeks. Right. They get thousands of extra dollars in bonuses. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. The idea being they put people in stable work mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. This industry is now worth over $7 billion. Holy shit. So it's, you know... It's pretty it's, big. It's huge. There's a lot of people doing this. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like the government's just like dishing out these contracts and all these extremely dodgy companies spring up overnight to take advantage of them. I imagine you'll get to this, but it's so sick that they're willing to spend so much money on the rent seekers who fuck around unemployed people, but not the unemployed people. Like, we could just give that $7 billion to welfare recipients. Well, no, no, then how would they learn to fend uh-huh. for themselves? Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Unlike all of these very responsible people who've set up go- <laughs> companies in, in, in order to get companies. government money. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the good kind of government money. Of course, yeah, Not yeah. the lazy Not the- kind of government money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm pulling a lot from this story from um, uh, an article by Luke Enriquez Gomez in The Guardian, who does a bunch of really great mm-hmm. reporting on uh, welfare. He published a story um, this week about a 59-year-old man from Adelaide named Franklin Araya who had two people from his disability employment agency show up at his fucking house to get him to sign a form saying that he'd been employed for a certain number of weeks, a form that would let the employment agency claim that bonus for him getting that job. The fuck? Here's how he described what happened when these employment people showed up at his house. This is a quote. They said, Franklin, congratulations. You're doing very well. We've got a $50 voucher for you. I was confused. I said, why do you want to give me a voucher? Oh, well, because you completed 12 weeks work. I wanted to be positive, so I just grabbed it. But they said, before you get this, you have to sign a paper. This is the issue here. This is when I felt powerless. So they're, they're there trying to get, you know, secure the 13-week job placement bonus sure. for their agency. Except they didn't actually get him the job. Because they never do, because they're completely shit Because they fucking suck. He got the job himself through a friend. He said that his job service provider, or JSP for short, had been hassling him for his payslips for weeks, which he had been giving them, but they were repeatedly asking him for his like most recent payslip, which he couldn't give to them because he didn't have it. When he told them that, that's when they showed up at his house. Wow. So there's two things here. There's the, sh- you know, the showing up unannounced at somebody's house, and there's the claiming bonuses for jobs that the JSP didn't actually for sure. get for the yep. person. So the showing up at people's homes is... Definitely not supposed to be allowed. Yeah. Uh, definitely against the rules. And in fact, the Department of Employment investigated another job service provider for doing this last year. Mm. There's a story in the New Daily from, I think it was it was mid last year, about um, a dad who had just become unemployed, who got hassled at his house twice in two hours by a job service provider. Fucking hell. Um, twice uh, in two hours? Twice what in two fuck? hours. I've got a quote from him here. It just felt like harassment. I had my eight-year-old daughter with me. She was quite petrified of the whole situation. I had to explain to her that it's okay. They're not here to take you away. Fucking hell. Um, and that story has the same, like, bribing tactics as well with the vouchers. Sure. When he called up the job service provider to, to like, you know, sort be of, like, like, be like, stop fucking this. hassling yeah. me, basically. They said that he should come into their office, and if he did, they would give him a fuel voucher. So it's this, like, you've got these little treats that they can hand out to people in order to secure their dodgy bonuses. So cooked. So in this case, the job service provider was issued, issued a breach notice mm-hmm. for hassling the guy at home, which is basically just, like, a directive from the Department of Employment being, like... Don't do that. Stop doing that. Um, and also get your employees to take a refresher course on privacy. <sighs> um, so... 
we can be. I think we can be pretty sure that job service provider will never do that again. Oh no, yeah. Um, they're going to respect the shit out of people's privacy now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I was poking about on Twitter researching for this story, I also came across a number of anecdotes about job service providers like ingress- aggressively inserting themselves into employment situations that they had nothing to do with for sure. in order to get that bonus. Here's a couple uh, that I wanted to read out. Uh, I got a job without my provider too, and then they called my new employee to get the details after I explicitly told them not to. Another one, saw tweets from a couple people this morning who actually lost their jobs because the JSPs were relentlessly Fucking calling the employers. Um, what the hell? Here's another one. I know someone whose manager Christ. ended up getting a restraining order against a JSP because they wouldn't stop calling him. Um, which I think, yeah, paints a pretty clear picture of what the attitude of this totally, industry yeah. is, right? So anyway, the Department of Employment Services is investigating this incident with Franklin Araya, and partially, uh, it seems, because his daughter, who volunteers with the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, cool. Big Shouts, has been making a lot of noise about it. Yeah, She's great. made complaints to the job service provider and has talked to the media. And so there may be some kind of rebuke mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. the home visit, uh, although previous... It's unlikely to be a any... very strong rebuke. Yeah, a mild... A mild rebuke that hey, uh, can be referenced in future media pieces. Yeah, <laughs> please uh, don't do that. We won't do anything to you. Um, but this other issue of uh, job service providers inserting themselves into these employment arrangements that they didn't organize—I mm-hmm. haven't seen any hint of any action getting taken about that. Yeah, for I, sure. You know, whether or not there's even an explicit rule against it, I, mm. I'm actually not sure. Well, I'm sure from the job seeker provider's point of view it's like well they're on our books and then they got a job we got them that job we were tangentially present in their lives when they became employed exactly and i think part of the that's a rationale for it is that you're supposed to do these like uh exercises or lessons that make you more employable how to write a resume or like exactly but anybody who's had any kind of contact with a job service provider knows that it's complete garbage. Yeah. The only time, like, the time that I went there to get my, like, resume fixed up or whatever was, like, 45 minutes of me sitting in a shitty waiting room, mm. going in, showing them the CV, and then being like, yeah, looks good. You probably, like, change the font to look a little bit more professional. And and that was it. And yep. the next time I went and visited them, they were like, we're shutting down. Um, I'll just stamp your thing and you can go. Hilarious. Like, <laughs> It was no. it was very like um, I don't know Enron or something you know people like shredding documents in the back room <laughs> kind of vibe. Yeah, I uh, often pinpoint the reason that I dropped out of school. Uh, I actually failed the school certificate of PDHPE in year ten, um, <laughs> and it was because of an assignment um, that we had to do where we had to like do a job application and like m- write a resume and stuff. And I'd been like a paper delivery boy since I was eight and then working in cafes since I was 12. And here I was at age 16 being like, no, in a resume, it should have your name at the top or whatever. And so I, in my letter about like, why do you want this job? I was like, my whole intention was to not be a PDHPE teacher. I was like, <laughs> I couldn't live with myself if I sunk to such like depths. I got called into the deputy principal's office with the like, miss fucking colombo uh and like <laughs> got a serious talking to about it and they were like rewrite this thing and we'd get zero for the entire assignment so i rewrote it but included 
and it was like completely serious except in brackets at one point i was like it was like uh, and undesirable jobs in brackets e.g e pdhp teacher <laughs> i failed the assignment failed the subject and failed the school certificate <laughs> pdhp um but somehow i'm sure that that was vastly more useful and productive than the job seeker provider equivalent job server provider equivalent of the, of the exact same bullshit <laughs> exercise you know what's really cool about our school system is that they can just tell you to your face that they you have failed a subject called personal development. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I never never thought of it like That's, that. I mean, you were right to drop out, man. Fuck, <laughs> fuck yeah, I I know. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, to sum up, the entire job service provider industry is a scam built on exploiting and harassing unemployed people. How low can you get? Abolish Even the lower. industry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> PDHP teacher might be. Um, that's a little harsh, but, <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that'll about do it for that story. Uh, now let's move on to, hey man, I've got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on. We're having another round of Coronas. Yeah, cool. So there's been a bit of coronavirus news. Um, the, I guess, you know, some general news, the federal government has chartered 20 planes to fly Australians here from overseas, uh, which is like getting more urgent as more and more like airlines, going to receive a ship of various sorts. Mm. Um, there's been a couple cases in Brisbane and in Adelaide, but basically numbers are going the right direction. Um, and people in Queensland are being released early from quarantine, also in Victoria. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, backwards and forwards, there's some cases and outbreaks and they're being contained reasonably well. But mm. the big conversation this last week in regards to coronavirus has been about the vaccine. So the federal government has been negotiating deals with uh, vaccine developers over the last 12 months basically since the virus it's like game developers but for vaccines yeah, yeah. it's somewhat less fun um <laughs> uh, i don't know I'm working for on a triple a game title doesn't oh, sound like a lot yeah, of funny yeah either. i'm not talking about the, the work just the, the product <laughs> oh, vaccines getting, you know you rarely get vaccine 80 first. hours of entertainment out of a vaccine but you might get a few extra years of life in which to enjoy triple a video game titles, that's a great though. point yeah um and so anyway what the what the government has sort of walked away with is enough doses of the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine, which I'm going to call the AZ vaccine, okay. AZ vaccine. Is that named after the company that's developing it? Yes, all okay. of these things are named after the companies, and most of them are collaborative. So this one was AstraZeneca, which I'm pretty sure is an Australian company, okay. uh, collaborating with Oxford University. Mm, now that I said I'm not 100% they are Australian. Whatever, that's not really <laughs> the point. Um, So... Uh, the government has negotiated enough doses of their vaccine to cover the entire population. And then they've got enough doses of another vaccine, which is called the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, which I'm just going to call the Pfizer vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, and that's enough to cover 5 million people. And so with all of these, there are two doses. So it gets a bit confusing. So they've got 10 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine, which will cover 5, 5 million, million people. people. We've got 51 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which will cover 25 and a bit million people. Yeah. Um, gotcha. And so quick maths, quick math. Exactly. Yeah. So the AZ vaccine is going to be manufactured in Australia by a company called CSL. Um, and the Pfizer vaccine is being manufactured by Pfizer in their like factories in Europe and the USA. Mm -hmm. And so the Labour Party and various think tanks and whatever else public figures have been criticising the government uh, for not getting enough Pfizer doses and instead getting all of these AstraZeneca doses. And 
So I just wanted to sort of explain why. Uh, and the reason... Is, is that because I specifically asked you to do so? Because they do not understand this? Uh, I mean, partly, <laughs> but also like, yeah, this is the corona news this week. So, That's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, so the reason is that the AstraZeneca vaccine has shown to be about 90% effective, while the Pfizer vaccine has been shown about 95% effective, which doesn't sound like a huge difference, but 95% is the threshold for herd immunity. Uh, uh, okay. Which, if you don't know what herd immunity is, what have you been doing for the last 12 months but just in case uh, uh let me put on my friendly geordie's voiceover voice oh no hand immunity is a form of indirect protection from infectious disease that occurs when a sufficient percentage of a population has become immune to an infection whether through vaccination or previous infections thereby reducing the likelihood of infection for individuals who lack immunity um so that was irritatingly good thank you uh so for example i'm allergic to the whooping cough vaccine, um, which, uh, uh, but we have herd immunity in Australia to um, whooping cough, which means it was extremely unlikely when I got it when I was age five and nearly died uh, and had to like skip kindy, basically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> generally speaking, the concept holds mostly true. <laughs> but it's a good idea anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and so the government has. So, so yeah, so that's why people are mad and they're okay. being like, why didn't you get the Pfizer vaccine? Um, why and, didn't they get the Pfizer vaccine? Well, so the government's response, and to be fair, several non-government affiliated immuno <clears throat> immunologists or whatever <clears throat> have, have basically been like, yeah, I mean, we did a pretty good job um, because like until very recently, we didn't have statistics on what either of these vaccines were like, right? So <clears throat> it could have been both of them completely failed or that they both had a... 50% effective rate. And like, we had no way of knowing that when we were making these deals. Gotcha. Okay. Which I think is, you know, kind of a fair enough point. Um, sure. I mean, they backed in the Oxford Smart University vaccine. Right. Which, like, putting your money on Oxford doesn't seem like a bad call. Uh, let's not go on record with that. But, like... <laughs> For the purposes of this small bit, <laughs> sure, we'll st we can stand by that statement. Yeah, um, please don't hold that hold us to that in future. Yeah. So, but the other point that they make is that like this ninety percent effectiveness means that ninety percent of people won't get the disease, which uh, also sounds pretty good. It does sound pretty good. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, there's also like recent uh, studies that suggest these are like preliminary, so it's not a hundred percent locked in. But it seems like in the ten percent of people who aren't immune from coronavirus, they have significantly reduced symptoms. Yeah, so the the severity of symptoms uh, probably reduced uh, as a result of the AZ vaccine, which um, seems like a good thing, you know? So it's much less likely to cause death. Um, and look, we've got this 10 million Pfizer doses, and so it's possible that with those, because that will cover tw like 20% of the population, we might actually get up to that 95% threshold right. as a result. Uh, but maybe not. Um, the other thing is that people are criticizing the government for is that um, those 10 million doses will arrive at some point in the next 12 months. And the government keeps being like, um, well, the, uh, we agreed with Pfizer that they would come in the first half of 2021. And Pfizer released a very pointed statement saying the contract says in 2021 um so i guess we'll see when that happens but yeah i mean look we're gonna have to live with the coronavirus for a long time yet even with the rollout of vaccines um and especially like i don't mean to downplay 
the impact that it has on people in Australia, but like, oh, boo-hoo, we're only going to get a vaccine with 90% efficacy. Meanwhile, just for example, Colombia has managed to secure enough doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, the, the kind of crap one, for 9 million people. They have a population of 50 million people. Yeah. So like, and, and they're not even an extremely poor country or whatever. They're just like not a first world country. So like... I don't know. It seems like a big whinge about like I I hate to be on the government side here, but I feel like they did a a reasonable job. <laughs> There's a vaccine coming for most Everyone's going to get yeah. it. Everyone's going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a vaccine coming for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh now <laughs> I kind of meant to mention this at the top of this section, but uh when we were planning out the uh the notes and the, the, the what we were going to talk about in this show, I was like, "Zach, I know we have a no us poll rule um but i really want to talk about aliens and he was like look if you talk about the vaccine for five minutes you can talk about aliens so for one minute which i'm looking at your notes and (laughs) i think i went over five for the vaccine (laughs) okay (laughs) so oh is that how we're we're working on a credit (laughs) rollover credits exactly wow you really are on the government side Uh today yeah um (laughs) (laughs) rollover credits okay so (laughs) <laughs> this alien story is that along with the United States $2.3 trillion coronavirus economic relief package was a tiny little wee little subclause <laughs> in an, an amendment to one of the <laughs> sub-articles of this bill that all of the U.S. intelligence agencies must make a public and unclassified report into what they know about UFOs. Uh, it actually calls them unidentified aerial phenomena or UAPs, uh, which is just the like wet ass pussies, <laughs> <laughs> unidentified ass pussies. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that's just like 2021. I'm not a kook version of UFO. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, you are. You've invented an even more obscure acronym for it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make you less of a nerd. It makes you more of a nerd. Totally, totally. Uh, and so, actually, the CIA has released a bunch of files, um, and a website called The Black Vault has also released a bunch of the CIA's files, uh, dating up to 2012, it Ooh. seems, though it's a bit unclear. And most of these uh files are transcripts of news articles or news stories mm-hmm. about what are pretty obvious like cold war incursions of like there was one where it's like an unidentified flying object crossed into russian space they radioed it it didn't reply and they shot it down and then two more u.s balloons came on and were like we're from the u.s can we come and collect our that that balloon that you just shut down (laughs) and so it's like well okay these are clearly not aliens um but there are some of these papers that are like um files about stuff in the cia library being like this is very odd piece of metal collected from a crash site that we don't know what the thing crashed and it's very x-files yeah yeah totally whereas the fbi same yeah yeah um so you know uh, cool i guess um but all (laughs) of these files are like old um gotcha yeah so the reports are due in approximately 170 days from recording um, it's just so funny to me that this got passed yeah in the corona <laughs> economic relief bill deal. yeah yeah amazing well you've got to give the people a little something to get them through 
dark times, right? right. And it's definitely not going to be a two thousand dollar check. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's going to be. Hey, maybe there is life elsewhere in the universe, and we're even more insignificant than we thought. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So these reports are due, you know, in a couple of months. Um, They have to be declassified and like open for the public consumption, but they can have like a dolly doctor sealed section only for the senator's eyes at the back um so we're not going to get everything um plus the legislation it's I, I didn't find the original bill but it seems it's only asking about uaps not about extraterrestrial life so we if there's some aliens under area 51 or whatever um it might not be in these reports or it might be in the, the classified bit but see. uh before we get off this subject do you remember about a month ago a uh, retired Israeli general was like, not only are there aliens, there's a lot of aliens. There's a whole <laughs> Galactic Federation. Trump was going to tell everyone about it, but the Galactic Federation leaned on him not to. <laughs> and that he's spent the last, like, 15 years since he stopped being a general purposefully developing an academic reputation that was, like, strong enough that he could say this without being laughed out of academia or whatever anyway did it work i doubt it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think once you kind of loop trump into your alien theory like i mean he started a space force uh yes this is not an argument in favor of like him being a good source on space Hmm. don't anger the aliens especially if they're able to get here (laughs) that's true yeah that's a good point (laughs) if they can get here they can definitely destroy us comfortably Mm, that's a great point yeah yeah yeah. well anyway yeah so uh there's the current news and the alien news (laughs) you're welcome dude thanks yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i hope it was worth it listeners someone on discord said oh no no it was a review said i'm their new favorite conspiracy theorist which you know that's very sweet very sweet indeed all right now it's time for Shitpost of the Week. So, uh, this week's Shitpost of the Week is a layup assist. It goes to John Young, who shared in uh, a, a cartoon, I guess? It's a Probably comic. It's a comic, yeah. yeah. Um, into Ospol Shitposting, which, uh, you know, we've kind of taken this out of the introduction up top, but this podcast is the official podcast of the Ospol Shitposting Facebook group. So if you want to see this meme and other memes head over there but yeah jono young shout outs uh shared this comic and it's uh two people on uh, wearing biohazard suits on you know a desert island by the sea and there's a, a pigeon flying along with a little tag that says usa and then one of them's pointing at it and says hey look a pigeon just flew into australia all the way from the usa what should we do boss and it could be spreading harmful things into australia we must euthanize it and then on the next frame they're the first guy's like, what about this? And is pointing at a, at a box that says, right-wing extremism made in the USA. Oh, that's fine. Uh, and this uh, comic <laughs> has a, a watermark on it from at Artful Doll Bludger. So, uh, Which good... is an extremely good handle. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Not uh, familiar with their work beyond this, but um, we'll be following that up. Totally. So, yeah, that's right. The reason that I had to cover this shitpost of the week is that I know what the pigeon situation is. Zach yeah. was like, I got no... I don't know what's no, up with this pigeon. No, I have a vague idea, but I've been deliberately avoiding learning about it. Fair enough. Yeah. So, um, hit me with the pigeon knowledge. So, someone found a pigeon, and it had a little leg tag on it, and it appeared to be a USA leg tag. And <laughs> so, Australian customs were like, oh shit, international pigeon could have international pigeon diseases. We have to euthanize it. 
and then the uh, like United States Pigeon Racing Authority or uh, like the peak body of pigeon <laughs> races in in the US were like nah that's a that's not one of our tags it's not it's not an american bird and oh. it turns out it was a fake someone as a as a joke a hoax that is an extremely niche hoax that worked ex- extraordinarily effectively much better than could be possibly anticipated <laughs> somebody like watching all of twitter start to talk about killing this pigeon being like Oh boy! <laughs> this really started got to out of sweat. Hand. Like, oh jeez, <laughs> yeah. This but... is supposed to be a like a one-time joke that I sent to my friends in the group chat, and then the pigeon got away, and then the pigeon really got away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it looks like the pigeon isn't going to be euthanized. But like, you know, knowing our biohazard control agencies, I, this I think happened right at the start of when we started doing our show. But mm. we burnt a bunch of like. 100 year old no two or like from early colonial history seeds of plants that are now extinct from australia that got sent to france and stayed in the basement of a french museum and were shipped back to australia so that botanists could experiment with them customs were like ooh, some seeds and plants and shit literally burnt these irreplaceable extinct seeds so yeah good fucking job australian customs I mean, I'm glad the pigeon is fine. It might not stay fine, even though it's fine, though, is my point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I take your point. Um... But the the real, I think, this comic, the good thing about it, the reason we wanted to talk about it was this right-wing extremism from the USA. So, just... Yeah, well, let's, so let's use that as a neat little segue. Mm-hmm. Fashy Australia. So yeah, last week we discussed Australian government ministers spreading misinformation about the attempted right-wing coup Mm -hmm. in the United States. Uh, And I was kind of planning for that conversation to sort of dovetail into a chat about the conditions that gave rise to ascendant fascism in in America Mm -hmm. and where we might be able to draw connections to similar conditions here in Australia. We sort of ran out of time. Yep. Um, But uh, luckily for me, this week, Australia's most recognizable and memorable man, Michael McCormack did a bit of press this week, which gives me an excuse to talk about it some more. Uh, and also that great meme is uh, provided the opportunity for a good segue. Yeah. Uh, for, for those who don't remember Australia's most memorable name, Michael McCormack, he's our deputy prime minister and the leader of the Federal National Party. That's right. And this week he has been acting PM because Scott Morrison is off. He's sinking beers at the uh, Shoalhaven pub. Mm-hmm. A lot of teardrop Twitter has been like, oh, that's scary. Oh, Michael McCormack is acting PM. Terrifying. And, you know, not any more than most of the other people no. who have been in charge of the country. <laughs> Including country. the fucking Labour Party. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, he, you know, as a leader of the Nationals and deputy PM, he is the person who steps into the top job when Scott Morrison is off sinking beers in his beefy's hat. And for some reason, he decided to do a bunch of media, uh, which any any good national should know you only ever do that when you're slagging off other members of your own party for personal gain. Otherwise, you just need to get in trouble that the media then hounds you about. That's the correct and type refuse of media to address. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but McCormack, on his first day as acting prime minister, did an interview on ABC Radio National Breakfast, where he compared an attempted violent right-wing overthrow of the government in the United States to the Black Lives Matter protests, mm-hmm. which he referred to as, quote, race riots. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to let a tweet from the Aboriginal Legal Service mm-hmm. um, just very concisely describe in better ways and in a better way than either of us could yep. why that's fucked. It's a disappointment, to say the least, to see the acting Prime Minister mischaracterize our fight for justice as race riots. Our demand that black lives be valued and defended against state-sanctioned violence is in no way comparable to attempts to violently overthrow an election. Yeah. That's something that probably shouldn't need to be said. Yeah. Well, like, the whole... Like, the term race riot is... Like, it, it just comes from this, like white is normal approach it's like oh yeah there's there's regular riots by white people just that's a normal thing and then there's these bad race riots when people who aren't white have well i think that's the way in which mccormack is trying to use it but when i hear the term race riots what i think of is like cronulla or or yeah cronulla exactly it's white people rioting and committing violence against non-white people that's what a race riot really is totally if you yeah th- i mean if you're looking at like what the majority of like racially motivated crowd violence has been like who's right, been right. perpetrating it who were the victims black lives matter is not representative no of that at all uh and like most of the people doing the violence at black lives like you know if you're not talking about buildings if you're talking about people who were actually killed, like a lot of them were killed by right-wing counter-protesters yeah, yeah, yeah. or cops. Yeah. Like, anyway, very bad. Uh, Michael McCormack heavily criticized for his racist mm-hmm. and a historical take. Anyway, the next day he did another interview where mm-hmm. he was confronted about his comments and he responded by literally actually saying, all lives matter. Yep. Um, that's two days. Two white supremacist talking points from Mm -hmm. the acting head of this settler colony that Mm -hmm. we like to call Australia. And so, you know, here's, I think, a pretty direct connection that we can draw between the states and here, right? So, you know, the the conditions in the US and Australia are very different in a number of ways. Our political systems are very different. The material conditions are very different. The Mm, geography and demographics and access to firearms and plenty of stuff. All sorts of shit. Yep. means that what's happening in the States is not happening here right now. But, something that does hold true, fascism ascends in, you know, a certain set of conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a, a vacuum of, like, coherent left-wing political opposition, but you need a complicit conservative political class yeah. for fascism to piggyback off. To give it the cover. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. well, exactly. Um, which, you know... Trump is like is is textbook in many mm, ways. Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to kind of like consolidate um at, you know the the insurrection was a failure, but like the like those conditions are a a very apparent historical echo of the way that other fascist dictators have ascended. I think I said this last week, but um it really seems like that's a personal failure of Trump that led to him not being crowned like God Emperor for life mm. um rather than like the checks and balances of the system working oh, appropriately. Like, yeah, no, absolutely he, he just not. Didn't no, go hard and, enough. No, the yeah. system made plenty of room for him. Yeah. And the only thing that I think impeded his progress at all was how effective often that like street level anti fascist organizing and right, counter protesting right, right. was at uh, like hampering the momentum of the far right movement. Um, in the states, it, I think it was Robert Evans who hosts mm. the podcast Behind the Bastards, which everybody should check out. 
was saying the, uh, the other day that if you think about all of the f- right-wing figures who organized the Unite the Right rally, mm. almost all of them are completely irrelevant now. Yeah, yeah. Because the, like, that... Uh, that white supremacist rally was so effectively like counter protested, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and everybody in, in that was so effectively like doxed basically by the left that the momentum completely fell yep, apart. Yep. Um, so, you know, like any credit, if you, you know, any credit to like the movement not ascending, I think has to go to that, those street level mm-hmm, organizers mm-hmm, got mm-hmm. nothing to do with anybody in charge. Totally. Or has any power in the system doing anything positive. But anyway, so as you know, as I was saying, the material conditions in the States and Australia, the political conditions are obviously pretty different. Um, but, you know, that same uh, complete lack of, like, uh, mainstream coherent political opposition mm-hmm. to fascism, uh, to white supremacy, to far-right ideas, and a conservative party who are very happy to weaponize those things in their own political favor, we do have here. And, like... Yep. I think what Trump has shown is that there, you know, latent white supremacist groups and, you know, and, and entirely as a movement are looking for signals from the political leadership that their mm-hmm. time is arriving. Yep. And, you know, Trump very actively tapped into that. Sure. You see the result, uh, you know, with the Capitol being stormed. And you, ha- but like, honestly, that's what that's what I hear when I hear M- Michael McCormack say "all lives matter" or calling Black Lives Matter protests race riots, or you know, comparing them with the Capitol insurrection or whatever. Yeah, right. Or you know, and you know, this, this is not new for him. It was only mo- a couple months ago that he was on Q and A trying to claim that the Black Lives Matter protests in Australia were you know coronavirus super spreader events, which of course has been totally debunked. It's just a blatant lie. Yeah, yep. but when he gets up and says that stuff. What I he- what I hear is Trump telling the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by, yep. or saying that white supremacists who killed people were very fine people. Yep. I don't think that there's any kind of major difference between mm. that sort of, like in Trump's case, it's maybe a little bit more active. Yep. But that tacit endorsement of like of racist ideology, racist right, thinking. Right. With with Michael McCormack, I get the impression that he would find the uh, like. If someone used the phrase fascist to describe him, he would be really like offended by that or whatever. Whereas Trump, I don't think, would give two shits. Yeah, and um, I don't think Michael McCormack is a fascist. That's not sure, what, that's not sure. what I'm trying to say. I think that he is a conservative who is, by his tacit endorsement and occasionally active encouragement of these ideas, is laying the similar groundwork mm, mm. to what was laid in the states yep. that, that gave white supremacists and fascists room to flourish yeah and there is he's like a bush you know he's uh or or that sort of like mainstream conservative who's still like as you say gives cover and like bush built his whole career on like the middle east is full of bad people basically and like obviously we're still dealing with the fallout from that a decade later yeah um and yeah I, i think that's a really good point about you know these mainstream conservatives who like reject fascism by name, but endorse many aspects of it with their words and and policies. in the case of certain actors within the government, like very actively totally. with with their actions. In the case of Peter Dutton, yeah, yeah, um, you know, like the, I think there is obviously a, a danger danger in like hyperbolizing this totally. kind of conversation yep. and yep. calling you know people who aren't fascists fascists. Yep. 
Um, but there's absolutely fascistic tendencies mm. in in a lot of Australian government mm. policy. You know, immigration detention being the most obvious one off the bat. Um, but like, it's important to remember that, like, while you don't want to hyperbolize, you have to look this stuff in the face. Mm. And globally, white supremacy, white supremacy, and fascist ideologies are ascendant. That is happening in the states. We don't have the same material conditions there, so things aren't at the same level yet. But the groundwork is being laid, and there is an active white supremacist mm, movement mm. in Australia. We produced the person who committed the most horrific act of racial violence of this century mm. um, in uh, in the Christchurch shooter, and the Australian media and Australia's political class have not addressed what they did to yep. contribute to his yep. development, which we've discussed before. But you know, our uh, on top of that, our intelligence agencies as again we've said before, haven't labelled a single white supremacist group in Australia as a terrorist threat. Our security agencies and our political class are in, incapable mm. of conceptualising white mm. supremacy as any kind of serious threat because at the end of the day, it's actually a central part of their own ideology. And also for the same reason that I said before about the, the like race riots, is like, well, white supremacy, that's just like normal people being normal and being proud to be normal or whatever like that that's the frame that that kind of gets translated into it's and it's impossible to criticize it again because as you say like so much of their political life is based on white supremacy but exactly just, just even conceptually like it like the the phrase becomes meaningless on some level yeah to, well, to them like they're they're so deep in it that it yeah, I think so. And, like, you know, you have to make a distinction, I suppose, between, like, the white supremacy of establishment conservatism yes. and the white supremacy of fascism. Right, and I right, don't right. want to conflate the two things. I heard this really good point on a podcast that I've been talking about a lot recently called Why Theory. They did an episode on domestic terrorism about the capital thing. Um, and they were saying something along the lines of, like, it was a really good trick or, like, really useful for the, the far right that Nazi, the, the term Nazi has just kind of become its own label of like the worst thing you can imagine mm. and becomes completely disconnected from like the Nazis social and economic policies mm. because if you look at the social and economic policies it's like right that's what the liberal party is doing that's what the labor party is doing most yeah. of the time it's what both the democrats and republicans are doing most of the time it's yeah. like you have to make the label the bad thing because then if you look at the content you're like oh it me yeah, um, and yeah, I think that's kind of the point you're, or, or it approaches the point you're making about like fascists versus like mainstream conservatives, or white supremacists versus like the white supremacy of the mainstream conservatives, is that those mainstream conservatives aren't like proud and excited and happy to share the fact that they're white supremacists. They just like do white supremacy all the time, but <laughs> but pretend that it's like not that. Whereas the you know, the Adam Waffen division or whatever, they're like, yes, we are fascists, we are white supremacists, and that's good. Yeah, and it's like, pretty there's... super liminal racism. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a great... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so again, you know, I just want to make sure that, yeah, we're making this distinction between conservatism and fascism and conservatism as being, like, crucial in the development of fascism, mm. crucial in establishing the political and material conditions in which fascism becomes ascendant. And so I view someone like McCormack as complicit, yep. probably, you know, an active participant, yep. no, but not somebody who understands what, what kind he's of doing. fire he's playing with yep. when he when he makes these kinds of comments. Yes. 
So, I'd say that's true of most people in the Liberal government, except maybe Peter Dutton and like maybe George Christensen or or Craig. Kitt. Like, there's a few of the more extreme ones who yeah. seem a bit more clear about what they're doing and are more intentional about it. But yeah, I think for the most part, yeah, I think Michael McCormack does very few political things intentionally. I <laughs> that's think definitely he's, true. He's he's just uh, like he's knocking shit over and just bumbling around. Yep. Um. <laughs> With your point, but yeah, I mean, they think they're smaller liberals. Um, and, and like, in, and I, I think you can, you know, that's an important part of establishing the conditions for fascism to arise right, as right. well. Yeah, and and even this thing about you know n- normal or like I don't see color or whatever gives so much cover to fascists because yeah. it's like, oh, we're not allowed to talk about race even when there are people who are like trying to murder people based on race or whatever, like. Yeah, they're, they're, the the cover operates on so many levels. No, exactly. They've established the perfect like camouflage, mm. basically. Well, not even camouflage. It's like they've established a political environment where you can't even address those questions. Yeah, and partially because so many of those like fascist and white supremacist values have been absorbed into mainstream conservative mm. politics, mm-hmm. but also because yeah, they like the way that they shape the conversation, the way that they like you know. This idea of even discussing race at all is, yes, is the it real is racism. racism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. That's that that's perfect camouflage yeah. for white supremacy. And yeah, that's I think that's even a great way, like a rule of thumb for differentiating the mainstream conservatives is that they don't want to talk about race. And mm. the Nazis fucking love yeah. talking about race. That's what they're all about. Yeah. That is the yeah. real racism. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, somebody like Trump, how you can distinguish him in some ways from mm. a conservative is that he was like, you know, Republicans are very willing to weaponize racism for political gain. Trump was so explicit about it, you know, and his attitudes are not different to the functions of the U.S. state, yeah. which obviously we know is built on genocide and slavery yeah. and racist mm. hierarchies. Mm. But the way that he gave voice to it, you know... <laughs> Like puts him cl- like on the fascist spectrum, you know. Yep, to yep. say nothing of how he views the legitimacy of democratic process, sure, sure, and whether or not he should be allowed to rule forever uh, as God King of America, as you put it. But anyway, look, I'll let me just wrap this up by saying, uh, well, I'll read the last paragraph from my notes here, even though I might be repeating myself a bit. Australian white supremacists can see that their movement is on the rise globally, mm. and they are waiting for their moment. And what Michael McCormack said this week in two different ways was, we will not stop you. Yeah. That's all I wanted to say. Yep. In 13 minutes or no, so. No, no, it's good. I, I think that was... I, you know, I don't think it's a particularly new point, but I just really think that... Oh, boy. It's it... just in the context of what we're seeing happening elsewhere mm, and within our mm. own country. This shit is so fucking dangerous and there's not going to be any consequences for him. Yeah. That, because... I, there's no in, in the mainstream political establishment. There's no acknowledgement of what he's actually actively laying the groundwork for. Totally, yeah. And it, yeah, it's he like, doesn't oh, understand. Oh, it's a it marketplace of ideas or whatever, and they yeah. don't see the actual impact no. or, or how it connects to what's happened in the US. Yeah, yeah. Or, or and the only people there who kind of might be able to see it, like your Duttons. Yeah, obviously not going to speak yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. 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 They're just they're just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> More acting PM interviews, please. Totally, yeah. Uh, well. That sucks. Um, <laughs> what also sucks is our First Nations story this week. Uh, so, Zach, you might remember we talked about, uh, you know, in the uh, aftermath of the Rio Tinto Jukan Gorge thing, uh, how all mining companies are going to 
respect traditional owners and the sovereignty of First Nations and because, you know... I, I remember the ironclad agreement. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, a new uranium mine has been uh, approved uh, in Western Australia. Ah. It's about halfway between Perth and Jukan Gorge. Uh, I was I wanted to get maps that showed how close they were, but Western Australia is big enough; they're not actually that close. But ah. it, yeah, yeah, still, come on, guys, it's, it's like, very bad. It's very bad. Yeah. Um. So actually, this was approved in 2019, uh, despite the very strong objections of the traditional owners, the Tiwild people. Um. So this mine is owned by a Canadian company called Camelco, and it's in the news this week because the ABC has gotten a bunch of emails, which it's unclear, but it seems like maybe they were leaked by the Australian Conservation Foundation, not entirely sure about that, uh, that show how particularly extra fucked and dodgy the approval process for this particular uranium mine was. <laughs> Even for a uranium mine, bad by uranium mine standards. Ser- like, yeah. So, like... There was a bunch of fuckery in the approval process at the West Australian state level. Uh, but then the, this, these emails have been about the federal government approval. Um, and they basically... So, you know what caretaker mode is? Mm. Um, so, for listeners who don't know, uh, after an election is called, the government is in caretaker mode. And they're not supposed to pass any legislation. They're not supposed to make any big policy decisions they can still make some decisions about like internal departmental things or whatever one of the things you've been voted out don't do anything to massively change the country now exactly exactly like Um, it's clear you're not going to continue ruling so please stop now gentlemen's agreements that everybody loves to respect yeah and uh the liberal party respected the shit out of it because (laughs) like almost literally the night before the election they approved this uranium mine so um there was a series of emails that have come out um, from the Camelco Australia general manager who emailed uh, the department officials, the then minister, Melissa Price, Matt Canavan, um, a bunch of other like people basically being like, so <laughs> here's a quote. I'm becoming increasing concerned that we'll not see a final decision on this project prior to an election. We're rapidly running out of time. I reckon you have about a week to engage the minister. Um, That's a- Blatant as fuck. Pretty blatant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they also, um, quote, hosted Matt Canavan on a visit of the region where he was, quote, lobbied. I just want to get as many scare quotes around that word lobbied as possible. While you're waving your fingers in the air, um, I just want to say I really fucking hate that guy. Matt Canavan. Yeah. Yeah. He is definitely in my top five, like, blood-boiling politicians. Mm -hmm, Every time I see mm -hmm. his face, you know cosmetically dusted in a little bit of like blackened coal makeup yeah, yeah. i just want to uh, I, I hate the guy so much yeah i hate the word lobbied it's just like it literally means bribed it's not even like mm. a, i don't even think mm, that's being come. cynical it's just like that's literally Ospel Snackpod come for the meandering conversation about fascism stay for the general low grade political cynicism <laughs> exactly yeah i do i do often think of myself as having low grade political cynicism it's just it's just a constant grind yeah <laughs> uh, but anyway okay so i am alive i know what <laughs> i know what life is yep <laughs> 
So this is from the ABC. So at 9.31 p.m. on the 10th of April, the night before Mr. Morrison called the federal election, the complete decisions package, more than 50 files and hundreds of pages, was emailed to then-Environment Minister Melissa Price in Geraldton, Western Australia. Nearly a week after the election had been called, in the midst of the caretaker period, the signed approval was received by the Environmental Department. The approval was dated April 10th, meaning Ms. Price signed it late at night with... Uh, within hours of being emailed the hundreds of pages on the last possible day. However, when the environment minister granted final approval, the one key condition, the one requiring the miner to show it wouldn't cause any extinctions, was gone. Extinctions. Yeah. Like, that's... I really would like to say that that's a low bar to clear, but for a mine, I guess maybe it's actually not that low of a bar to clear, yeah, considering how precarious so many of our yeah. <laughs> like native species are. But like that, it's it's so, so evil. It's so overtly evil. It's just it. it it's so on the nose. Yeah, I mean, these people have no fucking shame. It's how do you like? I just do you ever like you know Melissa Price signing this like yeah cool. I didn't give a fuck what's in here. Like, I'm going to approve this incredible, this like drastically environmentally destructive thing. What if she like ever pictured herself? Oh, Matt Canavan ever yeah. pictures himself. Like, if somebody ever made a documentary about my life, it would be an like a horror movie where I am the villain. Like, I, re- I really want to watch that film. I think it's called like Weekend in the Bush or something. It's an Australian sh- schlocky horror film that I found out about from Not Quite Hollywood, which I've been meaning mm. to rewatch. Um, but it's about this couple who go camping in the bush and like they get attacked by nature, but the twist is like, they're the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, but it's Matt Canavan. Um, (laughs) so, but yeah, so, well, the reason that they needed specifically to get rid of that particular provision about uh, not causing extinctions it's probably because they had no intention of causing an extinction (laughs) yeah why would we need to rule about that when we're not going to do it no it's because there are dozens or hundreds of species living in underground caves there that aren't found anywhere else on earth um they're called stygiofauna which just means animals that live in caves um and these particular ones in this area are mostly bugs of various kinds those stygiofauna exists all over earth and they include like little fishes and stuff and all sorts of cool little and... dudes live in caves. Right, right. Yeah. And they, they, they have their own name, Stygiofauna, because they tend to be... They have similar characteristics because they're, like, evolved to live without sunlight or fresh air or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, the scientist who found them uh, in around 2010 says that there's a really unusually large number of... A large amount of life, and it's an extremely high amount of diversity of life in in these caves. And that's compared to other nearby aquifers and cave networks. Mm. These ones in this particular area are unique, even in the terms of, like, Australian fauna, which is a pretty amazingly unique and diverse group. Um, So Matt Canavan said this. Most of those rare animals are stygiofauna that are only visible under a microscope and have some certain genetic uniqueness based on the lack of travel that they do between different regions. I hate him so much. So we've got to be careful about how we apply these laws in these instances so they don't lead to absurd situations where people can't have jobs because of an artificial definition of different types of species. Every definition of a different type of species is artificial. And all of them would include these guys. Like, like, I mean, he's kind of, 
He's now in my top three. Blood boiling. <laughs> it's punchable so politicians. The, I mean, the, the worst thing about this is that it is exactly the reason that these stygiofauna are going to be completely ignored, is that they're random little bugs that look like other little bugs and you can't see them without a microscope. So it's never going to get, like, you know, the Ledbetter possum kind of, like, emotional response yeah. from the general public. Um, and oh, it's just so fucked. But, yeah, so I... This is basically the end of the story. The, the scientist who discovered them was like, well, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, who's going to listen to that guy? He's just like literally the world's leading expert on these particular species. Like, yeah. But, okay, this is just my speculation. I don't know this for sure. But it seems to me possible that the presence of uranium is the reason that these caves have such diverse and active hmm. biology. Interesting right? theory. There's a whole, like, source of energy that it's like, you know, underground sea vents are always... Uh, there's, like, life living around the vents at the bottom of the ocean because they don't get, like, sun mm, energy, yeah. so they have to get these other forms of energy. Um, and so, like, it makes perfect sense that this unique area has unique species living in it. Um, and so I just wanted to, like, particularly highlight the direct and explicit hypocrisy that Matt Canavan is engaging in when he's, like... Uh, there's nothing special about this piece of land. They're just ordinary bugs. It's bullshit. Literally no one cares. And then in the same breath, he's like, this land is vitally important and unique. We need to literally take it apart piece by piece so that we can get to the delicious gooey radiation within. And like, it's just like so blatant. He's like, he has to say there's nothing special about it so he can get to the special bit that he wants. And, like, that's quite aside from the disgusting trampling over the traditional owner's, like, rights and desires. Like, obviously, there's, like, a ve another whole level of horrible bullshit there. But, like, uh, just the worst. Nuclear bros, what up? Uh, actually, it's way cleaner than solar energy. Oh, okay, cool, cool, yeah. cool. Fuck the bugs. Fuck that's your, that's you your can't slogan, even see them under, except under a microscope. So, <laughs> well, it's just awful. like coronavirus. No one cares about coronavirus. That's true. Can't see it. No, it's exactly like other basic viruses, like every other disease. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Matt Canavan. All right, let's uh, wrap things up here with a quick positivity corner. Positivity corner. Uh, so I actually have like three fucking pages of notes for this story, but we're already at an hour, so Sorry, I'm going to cut this down. Sorry, about so much. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> we sold myself like down the river. Actual, yeah. important story for aliens. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, look, and maybe we'll come back to it next week, or um, we can at some point. Yeah, yeah, we can take it, uh, go into more depth at another time. But anyway, Uber Eats workers are striking. Uh, which is very cool. Striking for better conditions, more pay, and increased regulation yeah. of the gig economy. Doing this with the support of the Transport Workers Union in Australia. Um, so I have a couple pages here on all the myriad ways that Uber is cooked, that Uber Eats and various you know other similar food delivery platforms are fucked. Um, I think a lot of people probably have a pretty good idea mm -hmm, of why mm -hmm. they're fucked, um, but. Even just right, which, you know, I kind of ambiently have absorbed this over the last couple of years. Mm, mm. I think we all have, you know, most people have to a certain extent because 
these people come into our lives pretty frequently. Totally, you see them yeah, face yeah. to face. It's a pretty like, you know, you, you can't just kind of like ignore what they're going through. Um, but so, you know, I'll, I'll skip all of that. Uh, but there is one point I wanted to make about why I think this is a particularly positive sure. example of industrial action, yep. which is that, you know, p- the business model of these services is built on categorizing riders, not as employees, but as contractors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the case of Uber, they refuse to even acknowledge that they're contractors. This is from the Uber oh, yeah. website. As an Uber partner, you independently provide transportation services. You are not an employee of Uber, nor a contractor of Uber. Okay. <laughs> Legally speaking, that they function essentially as contractors, though. So you, right, they have, right. well, you know, so you've got, they've got absolutely no rights as workers. Yep. You know, no sick leave, no annual leave. If you get hurt on the job, which happens a lot, yep. and killed, five, five delivery riders have been killed in Australia in the, in the last five months alone. Whoa, Four of shit. those in Sydney, one in Melbourne. Well, I had no idea. That's fucked. Yeah, and that's partially what has inspired yeah. the strike. Um, alongside the fact that the that Uber used the pandemic as an excuse to cut wages mm-hmm. because there was a massive influx of people wanting to ride for yeah, them because yeah, people were put out of work by the pandemic. Capitalism so, is really bad, you guys. More reserve army of labor equals lower wages. Yes, yeah. the system works perfectly. Mm-hmm. So, but it, the reason why I think that it's particularly positive is because you know th- this sort of atomized diffuse workforce yeah. i'm trying to find a less pretentious word of saying that but you know like they're not sitting next to each other in a factory exactly yeah. and they're you know as you know, they have even they less rights than casual employees well exactly so you know as a casual employee at say like a supermarket or, or whatever you mm. might you, you're not getting holiday pay you're not getting you know sick leave um or uh you know you're not putting anything super, to your super yeah, yeah. etc the conditions are very bad and it is also hard to organize yeah but yeah you're you're standing next to someone else at Cole's stacking the shelf potentially there's like in, a physical location that you that go is to the store you have a connection uber right uber uber eats riders they're out there by themselves yeah and so part of the you know aside from the fact that it allows them to fuck over riders economically speaking mm-hmm. and in terms of their conditions part of the reason why these services operate like this is deliberately because it makes organizing difficult. Yeah. And so the fact that these writers have come together and said, fuck you, this is one pay cut too many. Yep. I think is really inspiring. I think it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. There's been a really um, beautiful outpouring of support and solidarity across social yeah. media for yeah. these people. Cause as I say, I think people have, they feel a bit of a personal connection totally. yeah. to these workers. You know, they're not hidden and away. Also, like, I, I feel like th- there's a culture of, I don't know. Like, I I feel so grateful to Uber Eats delivery drivers when they bring me my dinner, mm. and or or when I catch a a, a scab cab. Yeah. Um, and it's like, thanks, man. You're really fucking doing me a solid. I know you're getting paid for it, but like, it it just makes my life so much better. And I think people have that. Well, yeah, the convenience of the service is why you know it's it. it I mean, that's also part of the business model. You saturate the market. You basically make everybody reliant on it. Mm. Then you start to crunch. You like charge people more to use the service and charge workers less yeah, for yeah, supplying less. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like it's become an integral part of everyday life for like a, a large, a l- large yeah. section of the population. Not the people who are working for the companies. No, like because yeah. you can't the earn enough to pay for it when you're on it. Yeah. Again, it's a really 
bad capitalism is very bad bad system anyway um uh i'm starting to ramble so i'll wrap it up but um i think that uh it's a really it's a really cool action yep. um and uh don't cross the picket line don't order from uber eats don't catch an uber if, oh yeah yeah um and uh follow the uh transport workers union of australia to uh to get updates on that campaign mm-hmm. and uh solidarity with those riders fuck yeah okay Sweet. All right. Well, I think that probably brings us to the end of the news. Uh, we will tell you what's going on with our cute dogs mm-hmm. shortly. But in the meantime, a little bit of business. Yeah. So as we said up top, um, please head over to patreon.com forward slash Snackpod, And for one US dollar a month, you get access to a monthly bonus episode. Um, plus other shit, you get to join on the Discord where we will personally send you memes. Um, sometimes. It, it occasionally happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we've also got some exciting news, Zach. I feel like this has been your baby, so why don't you... Yeah, okay, well, so, <laughs> I don't know if anybody has, like, taken note of this, mm. but over, like, the course of a few months, I kept saying at the end of episodes, like, we're doing something exciting with your Patreon money. Yeah. And now it's finally starting to materialize. I've been working on it for a while, but we are going to start to try to put out full transcriptions of every episode going forward. So that means you can control F and cancel us. That's what it's for. Yeah, there's now going to be a written record of everything we say, which is obviously a little bit eye-watering for us. But the idea is to try to make the show as accessible as possible to Mm -hmm. as many people. Um, So we're hoping that this will enable a lot more people to find the show. Um, So that's partially what your Patreon dollars are going Mm -hmm. towards. We're paying someone to do transcripts, um, shout-outs to friend, confidant, member of my inner sanctum, Gull, um, who has very generously offered to do it for less money than it's worth but like yep yeah, thank you goal so that's that's why we uh thank you so much goal it's, yeah it's really like i've tried doing transcripts of the episodes repeatedly over the last six months or so and it is a shit job so yeah that shout out goal <laughs> thank you so much uh, um yeah no, and we really appreciate the work that goal is doing for us um they, they did an amazing job on last week's episode yep, so yep. Uh, we now have a website, ospolsnackpod.com, where all the episodes going forward are going to be posted with full transcripts, so you can pass that on to anybody who you think might find it useful. Yep. Uh, and this is a small thing, but we're also going to try and do more detailed show notes about what each of the stories are. So, I don't know. I was just thinking about transcripts. That's not, <laughs> that's not really news. That's just like, Zach was like, hey, could you do a better job of this? So, uh, I, yeah, but uh, look I forward to that. I didn't phrase it like that. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> you didn't. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, look, we're trying, to, we're, run, we're trying to run a little bit of a tighter ship in 2020. Mildly tighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're tightening things up. And uh, so aside from all that, uh, please, if you haven't done so, leave us a review. Yes, um, please do. On Apple Podcasts is the best place to do that or anywhere else you can leave us a comment or a friendly note. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Please follow share us. our social media posts. Yeah. Follow us on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We got the big three. Just comment on them being like, ha ha. Um, or that would, something. Be, that people, would be great. People see more shit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that probably brings us to the end of the business. Yeah. Now it's time for a pub game. What, what's been going on with Dundee? How's he been? I we got him a new doggy bed um, because we just threw out the couch that he uses as a bed because mm-hmm. he ruined it by sleeping on it. He ruined it by sleeping on it mm-hmm. and jumping on it. Uh-huh. Um, 
uh, look, it was an old and like it was on its last legs when it got to us. It was, you know, the end of like a multi-decade life and we got it for 50 bucks and it probably at some point cost multiple thousands of dollars. Absolutely sure. gorgeous couch. Dante really liked it. I don't blame him. Uh, <laughs> but it's gone now. Your boy's got good taste. Because it was disgusting. Yeah. Sure. And so we bought him this uh, big, new, fluffy dog bed, which I am really encouraging him to try and mm-hmm. enjoy because I don't want him to get all over the, the new replacement couch, couch yeah. and do a similar thing. Because I actually paid like a decent amount of money mm-hmm, for this mm-hmm. one. So I'm trying to actually take care of it, unlike most of the other things that I own. Uh, but... It's been very cute because uh, it's basically an enormous fluffy donut that he curls up into a perfect circle inside. I and love the, that. Yeah. And the, 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 the snoot right on the bum. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, very cute. Tucked right under the tail yeah, there. Yeah. And um, the like thing that's supposed to be special about it is that it's got quite high walls. Like the donut is quite high, um, which is supposed to you know give dogs a sense of comfort and ease totally, of anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, what they do is they kind of like enclose him a little bit in uh like over the top so mm-hmm. you like you basically just get like one tiny little dante eye poking up at you from this like it's very warm adorable. circle i'm like that looks so fucking comfortable yeah um so i'm hoping he starts to actually sleep in it because yep. that that would be a huge win for me it's very hard to get Dante to do things that i want most mm-hmm. of the time mm-hmm. I gotta say, it's a, a, a nice thing about coming to record here is that I get a bit of time with him. He's, he's a, a very, very affectionate sweet and guy, friendly little yeah, boy. Yeah, that's true. Um, what about uh, Bagel? What's he been up to? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not a whole bunch, but what the what, what I thought I would share with our listeners this week is um, I, I'm a, a gardener. I have several fruit trees, um, and just in the last week, my plums have gotten ready. They're ripe. Oh, I meant to bring you some, actually. Damn it, they're really that's tasty. Right. I just got a bag of nectarines from nice. Uh, friends of the show yeah Yeah. (laughs) um but uh the other day i found bagel in sort of a corner of the garden where he normally isn't sort of like behind a big pile of crap eating this plum (laughs) and he'd clearly like taken it away to where he thought i wouldn't spot him yeah Forbidden but plum. He he clearly doesn't like it that much. I, like <laughs> I've tried giving him fruit before, and he does the same thing, but this time it was self directed. He'll like pick it up, chew it once or twice, and then spit it out, Blech. and kind of like look at it and like snoot it a bit, being like, "What the hell? What, what what's why going is, on here? Why is this guy?" <laughs> and then he'll like give it another little nibble. So yeah, it's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, Dante's not a fruit guy either. No. He'll eat banana, uh-huh. which is very cute because it involves a lot of. Really open mouth chewing, but no noise. <laughs> That's adorable. It's very yeah, but like, give him a piece of apple, and he'll he's just not interested. Deeply offended. I know several dogs who love carrots, and it's like a high value treat for them. Yeah. And I tried giving Bagel a carrot, and he just like gave me this like affronted look of like, what the? Fuck what are you trying do you to think do? You're doing yeah. Which, like, and that ha- that'll happen often with Dante where, like, he'll want a bit of whatever I'm ha- having. And it's like, these are almonds. I know you hate them. Whenever I give you one, I find it later with, like, <laughs> yeah, a yeah. tiny chunk taken out totally. and a sad Dante next to it being like, meh. He loves tomato, though. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Which is great because I can give him um, the little hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you call the top of the tomato in uh-huh. French, listeners. Yep. That's probably time to end the show. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it, we would have to explain a bunch about our history of living together to get more into that little hat thing. So it's, instead, it's let's not just finish the show. It's, that's, let's wrap it up right yep. there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed 
this week's edition mm-hmm. of OzPol Snack Pod. Um, we really appreciate you tuning in. And in the meantime, keep on snacking in the free world. Fuck Michael McCormack. Crunch, crunch. <laughs>